the Oxford Sparks podcast. Episode 11, Learning. Part 2. How do we do very complex cognitive tasks? Like, for example, how can we do maths? Uh, how are we able to solve very complex problems like IQ problems? And in order to do that, we're examining children, adults and elderly on different types of cognitive abilities. And in addition, we also try to understand how their brain works while they're doing this task or while they are resting. My name is Roy Cohen-Kadosh and I'm a cognitive neuroscientist at the University of Oxford. Now, the most interesting bits, a lot of times that people find, is that we try then to modulate their brain, to try to change a bit how their brain works while they're doing this cognitive task in order to further improve their abilities. And you can, of course, think what might be the implications of that, right? If someone has really low or low cognitive abilities or some types of problems because they were born like that or because they had an accident or aging, we might be able to make people smarter. So how did we actually uh, modulating the brain, how did we actually change the brain externally is by applying low current that it is painless and is considered to be safe to the scalp. Now, from the scalp, it will pass and affect our brain. Because our brain works on electricity, if we induce electricity, it actually change the characteristics of the brain. This is the basic assumption. But how does Roy know where to stimulate the brain? So in order to do that, we a lot of times scan subjects and then define which region to stimulate. Or we define regions based on previous studies that have shown the relevance of these regions in a given cognitive skill, for example, maths. In terms of scanning, what did we use are different types of neuroimaging. So it can be using MRI, so functional MRI. It can be used, we can use uh, spectroscopy, which allows us to assess neurochemicals in the brain or the structures, different structures that we are interested in and see how they are correlated with cognitive abilities, but then actually target these brain regions to see if they're really important for these cognitive skills. Cognitive skills encompass a wide range of abilities, such as problem-solving, language and reasoning. Roy and his team have focused on improving mathematical skills. When I say maths, it can go from a very basic numerical abilities, like the understanding what are four compared to one, or much more advanced skills such as arithmetics and calculation. Uh, in addition, we're also examining anxiety in respect to maths because some people, when you talk to them about maths, they become a bit of, yeah, a bit fearful when, when you talk to them about doing some type of mathematical task. So we try to improve their abilities and reduce their anxiety if it's possible. So what did we find in the case of improvement, for example, in maths, is that when we give the training, people are faster in the ability to learn the material. So it takes to each of us a certain amount of time until we master a skill. Okay? Um, and what stimulation seems to cause is basically to lead to a faster acquisition when you receive the stimulation compared when you're not. So people reach the level that you can 
define someone as an expert much faster than when you not receive stimulation. But how does this electrical stimulation work? There is not one way that it works. When we deliver electricity to the brain, the brain is a complex system. It will affect several levels. We know that stimulation, that electricity, when it passes through the brain, might change the thresholds that brain cells need to reach in order to pass information. So it can make it easier or harder for these cells to reach a threshold and then pass the information. You can think about it, a good analogy are runners in a context. If you need to run 100 meters, you can do it much faster and easier if I will basically take you from the starting line and advance you 40 meters ahead. So it would be easier for you to reach this threshold, just like the cell, where I can actually impair your abilities and take you 40 meters back. You would be much lower and it would be much harder for you to complete it. So this is an analogy that you can think how the electricity might affect the brain cells. Does this mean that there are potential side effects to this brain stimulation? We have a few publications that we actually show that we can improve a certain cognitive ability, but there might be deterioration in another cognitive abilities. And we still try to understand what exactly happening there, why it occurs and how we can avoid such cognitive costs, as we call it. And if you want to think about it, it's very similar to what might happen with drugs, right? You might take drugs to improve certain health problem, but it, it might also cause to some side effects. And the, the smart thing is to try to avoid that. So we try to see how we can avoid it. But at the moment, it seems that you might be able to improve something on the expense of another abilities. And it brings us also, of course, to a good question of who might or who should use that. Um, if someone is really impaired in something, they might be willing to pay a price to improve their abilities. And the deterioration is not as, you know, severe, but it's still something that we should bear in mind. The last bit, of course, is whether this cognitive impairment is long-lasting. What did we find, and it's very important to say, is that the enhancement is long-lasting. But we did not examine whether the cognitive cost is long-lasting, and this is something that we try to further our understanding in this case. So what is the likelihood of brain stimulation becoming a viable treatment in the future? At the moment, it is very important to say that the results are coming from artificial lab environment. Most of the results, there are some few results that actually try to mimic real life scenarios. And the tricky bit is to try to pass this advancement at the basic level, which is very exciting, and see whether there are any translational possibilities to real life. And you can think about different scenarios how this can happen, right? It can be with children, for example, with learning difficulties. Um, it can be with elderly or those who might have some neurological impairment as part of rehabilitation. A much more debated issue is whether we should improve also those who are at the average or above average abilities. But in order to really have this um, 
this translational impact, we need to have much more understanding at the basic level and also research that will try to connect these basic findings to real-life scenarios. Roy's research also raises interesting ethical questions about who could be given such improvement. Now it's a debated issue. And we have some works with neuroethicists like uh, Julian Sabulesco and Hannah Maslin from uh, University of Oxford. And there is no clear-cut agreement here among researchers and neuroethicists. You can think about what might happen to someone that fails to go to a medical school or to, um, let's say, uh, physics or maths department because their scores might be a bit too low. And if they will be able to improve their abilities, it might actually lead them together. And you don't know, maybe these people are going to be the next Stephen Hawking or Albert Einstein. We never know that. You know, I was quite poor in maths. Um, and it's affected my abilities to get to a good university at the first stage. Well, you could see when I ended it, but um, still, I think that we can never know what people can do if you're going to give them this chance. On the other hand, we can also increase the disparity that already exists. We can maybe make people much better than those who are already not as good. So it's another question that has social implications, but I have to say that I'm not exactly the person to give the advice here. Roy hopes that in the future, such treatments could vastly improve the quality of life for children with learning difficulties and the elderly. Two populations that we really would like to examine the efficacy of stimulation on their abilities um, are those with learning difficulties, primarily children, because this field has hardly any uh, studies that examine how stimulation can improve their abilities. And you can just think the implication, because it's when these children try to develop their self-esteem, their cognitive abilities, and if we can tap that at this stage, we can totally affect their future perspective. It can open to them doors that otherwise might be closed. The other population is elderly. Um, and it's not because I have a father uh, that is getting old, uh, but because that I could see also uh, around me other people that are dear to me and start to see, start to see this or to experience its cognitive decline. Um, it will be really good to see if we can diminish that or stop that uh, in order to allow them to learn and to function better in their everyday life. But this is very ambitious. I don't think that it will be something that only me uh, would be able to accomplish. I hope that the scientific community will start to go into these directions because basic science is the most important thing. But not least, you might say, that we have also to see if we can translate this basic understanding because eventually we're here in order to improve the life of others. You've been listening to the Oxford Sparks podcast narrated by me, Lou Sumner. This podcast was produced for the University of Oxford by Steve Pritchard. For more fascinating science, visit www.oxfordsparks.ox.ac.uk.